Today on the Solomon's Corner Podcast, we provide you with an analysis on Christianity's decline in America that I doubt you have heard anywhere else. Along these same lines, we discuss why Christians and non-Christians seem to believe that Daily Wire and Jordan Peterson are more qualified to answer their spiritual questions than clergy. Finally, we discuss America's new faith. Is it merely that more are adopting agnosticism and atheism? Or are they finding comfort in the beckoning arms of Karl Marx? All this and more on today's podcast. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts. We are in a time of radical optimism and radical despair. Both lead to a radical apathy. Radical optimism says, if I just keep my chin up, it will all work out in the end. Radical despair says, there is nothing we can do but wait for the guards to march us into the furnace. As Hannah Arendt says in The Origins of Totalitarianism, desperate hope and desperate fear often seem closer to the center of such events, events being totalitarianism, than balanced judgment and measured insight. Both progress and doom are two sides of the same metal. Both are articles of superstition, not faith, end quote. Whenever I talk to people, regardless of religion, the common thread is apathy. This is understandable as many in the church are unsure about what to do in our current time. They believe that preaching sermons with analogies and generalities will be capable of leading man through the dangers that lie ahead. Those that lean towards radical despair tend to be older. What can we do? They say. How can we make a difference? We knew this would happen, you know. End quote. Those on the youthful side tend to think they can keep their head down and continue living as if nothing is happening outside their home and church. These trends are furthered by a church that speaks in analogies, metaphors, and generalities so broad we don't have a camera capable of capturing its breadth. This spiritual ambiguity combined with the cowardice of the church to engage in the culture war, I believe is the reason for the decline in religious affiliation. Most Christians are aware of this and even concede that, quote, we are in a different time, end quote. I don't know why I quoted the ambiguous person there, but there you go. Pew Research shows that since 2007, we have seen a decline from 78% identifying as Christians to 63% identifying as Christians in 2021 in the United States. This also has an increase, alongside it, of not uh, not in other religious affiliations, or so Pew says, but in a category Pew labels as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. However, after reading Milos's work, The Captive Mind, and learning of the religious nature of communism outside of books, I think it's safe to say that these nuns are converting to the new faith. This conversion is happening, I believe, because pastors are not saying anything of significance. Their auditoriums and sanctuaries are echo chambers. They're filled with people that smile and nod so long as the language of the pulpit matches the language of the culture, even better if the sermon is presented as if there is no culture war at all. If they want to, clergy can hide from the culture wars of the world by attending to funerals, weddings, baptisms, and giving sermons to fill their disciples with optimism rather than hope. This is not intended to knock the pastoral duties that are so difficult and essential to a functioning and moral society. But the duties of a pastor in wartime, 
do not change, but the difficulty of his office is greatly increased. According to a 2020 poll put out by Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, which I highly recommend you follow, they discovered a significant shift in political ideology among millennials in the United States. According to Victims of Communism, quote, over a quarter of Americans, 26%, support the gradual elimination of the capitalist system in favor of a more socialist system with a surge in support among younger generations, 31% of Gen Z and 35% of millennials. Over one-third of Americans, 39%, are likely to support a member of the Democratic Socialist Party for office with greater support among younger generations, 51% of Gen Z and 44% of millennials. 16% of Gen Z and millennials are likely to support a member of the Communist Party for office. Favorable opinions toward Marxism are increasing in the youngest generation but decreasing or holding steady in older generations. 30% of Gen Z has a favorable view of Marxism, up 6% from 2019, compared to 27% of millennials, down 9% from 2019. This study will be in the show notes, so you can find the link in the transcript. Now, we're obviously doing some good work because millennials are down 9%, but this doesn't change the fact that we are still seeing a considerable rise of interest in Marxism. Now, my favorite thing to hear whenever one cites stats like this is, I can make numbers say whatever I want. That's true, which is why we don't look at stats in isolation. For example, when the heads of Black Lives Matter, an organization with massive influence all over the country, states that they are trained Marxists, this is an outside data point that affirms the validity of the polling data. To those that say we can make data say whatever we want, I suggest you read some history alongside your current news cycle or your latest CRT training sessions at your job. Furthermore, let's say the numbers are lower. Talk to survivors or read their memoirs, survivors of communism that is, or read their memoirs, and a recurring theme is that the minority ideology, to their surprise, took over the levers of power in their country. It doesn't take a majority communist population for the country to replace stars and stripes with hammers and sickles. If you're reading along in the captive mind, you know this as well. It's not numbers that favors the communist, it's apathy. All it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. So while the nuns are on the rise, I think that this is a greater indicator that communism, the new faith, is also on the rise. The data seems to indicate this. So then, what is the church to do? Are we to cast ourselves into the storm? Are we to just do what we always do? Whatever that is? In order for the Christians to fight the new faith, they are going to have to get serious about their own first. They lost a lot of credibility during the lockdowns and mandates, and simultaneously demonstrated that they are perfectly comfortable operating as an organ of the state, rather than a sanctuary to find salvation from the world. A good place to start for some inspiration involves a Jewish man, two Protestants, two Catholics, and a Christian mother to rule them all. We turn now to the Daily Wire. Whenever Jordan Peterson opens his mouth about Christianity and men, there's a large group of Christians that gets frustrated. He's throwing in works based on salvation. Amen. He's got a Jungian mumbo-jumbo in there. Amen. He restored a father and son who hadn't talked in 10 years. Uh, what? A listener of his was an atheist for several years, addicted to porn, and decided to revisit his faith and get back to church. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, but he mixed in all this Jungian archetype stuff. Yeah, but he's back in church, right? Yeah, but, but it's Carl Jung. This is pretty much the way that a lot of Christian leaders seem, in my opinion, to react to Jordan Peterson. 
despite the fact that C.S. Lewis had allusions to other religions in his writings as well, they seem to take particular notice of Jordan Peterson. Now, as many of you know, the man has caused many men to go into the quote-unquote belly of the beast and save their fathers, whatever that means. But it's not just Jordan Peterson who's giving men spiritual advice and inspiration. It's the whole freaking Daily Wire crew. During one of their backstage episodes, Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh, and Andrew Clavin all expressed that they get an overwhelming amount of mail asking, how can I deal with my porn addiction? Further, if you listen to the show when they have Q&As, you too will be surprised at how many people ask these guys for spiritual guidance. They're just political commentators, and yet people think that they can get their spiritual guidance from them, and most of the time, they give pretty good answers. So what's going on here? Has the church lost its voice? Yes. But how, you might ask? Is Daniel just pumping up the Daily Wire because he gets a kickback? I wish. But if you share this podcast, make sure you tag your favorite Daily Wire host, and maybe someday I will. But in short, the church has been slowly exchanging their congregation's trust for the security of political and cultural relevance. It's a classic, we tried to please everyone and ended up reaching no one. The church has lost its voice, and now men and women are going to people based on their fruit, not their nice words. Actions speak louder than words. And while the churches around the country became a government mouthpiece for major pharmaceutical companies, closed their churches and called people grandma killer, refused communion to those who weren't vaccinated, and ignored the pain and hurt of small businesses that were burned to the ground, and then shut down under COVID restrictions. Is it any wonder that this ruined the testimony of the church? Why should someone go to you? Why should someone even consider talking to you if they are remotely morally conservative? If you're going to say one thing in private and then preach something that satisfies the culture in public? In contrast, the Daily Wire decided to fight Biden's vaccine mandate, which was an explicit violation of the codes passed down by the Nuremberg trials, which were the trials that tried the Nazis. And if you don't believe me, look them up. You only have to read the first bullet point. The last two years have brought an unbelievable amount of economic, cultural, and spiritual strain, and the Church of Cowards did an excellent job of administering the sacraments of fear and despair. One friend put it well, We are getting too much of the world in our churches. I go to church to get away from the world. As a result of the world and government invading our Sunday services, Big business and big government made power grabs that millennials and Gen Z, not boomers, will be fighting for the foreseeable future. But if grandma can get an extra five years, isn't it worth it? Oh wait, grandma died in the hospital by herself, and no one came to visit because they were scared of getting COVID. If you think that this is an exaggeration, go read Megan Basham's article on Daily Wire titled, How the Federal Government Used Evangelical Leaders to Spread COVID Propaganda to Churches. Now, when Ben Shapiro was speaking regularly at college campuses, Christians would ask him about how to understand Jesus in the Gospels. And Shapiro was always polite, but also a little sarcastic with his response. Um, I'm a big fan of the sequel, or I'm not a big fan of the sequel, would be his response. If you look at his latest series, Debunked, you will see essentially an introduction to apologetics courses. The Atheist Delusion, The Brilliant Ideas of Karl Marx, and Will Sexual Freedom Make You Happy are all subjects that should be discussed in church, but are actually discussed on Ben Shapiro's Debunk series. Oftentimes, Christians go to these things because they're looking for the answers to these very questions. And even for those pastors that are more sympathetic to social justice, there is a video on criminal social justice reform. Are these not discussions that should be happening in our churches? 
And sometimes they do. But when they do, they almost always lean left and almost always veil our doctrines on the subjects. In fact, as an aside, one time I was in a catechism class asking about whether or not IVF was permitted to Anglicans in their bioethics. And it says explicitly in the catechism that abortion is murder and that we're not allowed to commit murder. Well, in IVF, a life is taken. Was asking this in the middle of the catechism and the person leading the catechism said, I don't know. As long as this continues to happen in our churches, and I don't think the Anglican church is the only one struggling with this, obviously not, as we saw from the polling data, then we are going to continue down this path. But what's amazing to me about the Daily Wire is how many times these guys recommend that their listeners find a church. Get involved. Take responsibility, man. Set aside your doubts and find a church. This was the gist of Jordan Peterson's recent video, Message to the Churches. It was campy at times, sure, but the guy is literally telling men to go to church. He's using his platform, which is massive, to tell guys to go to church. And the response from a lot of Christian leaders was to complain about the use of Carl Jung and denounce the popularity of Jordan Peterson. I could go on, but when you consider that an entire Daily Wire face consists of major Christian denominations and Judaism, is it any surprise that Christians, looking for how to survive the turmoil of turning to the voices that give them courage to say what they believe and accept the consequences. The communist spirit is alive in America. It's growing among the young, and socialism is as well. And for those that think democratic socialism isn't communism, then you should probably go read up on the Russian communists and what they ran under before they revealed that they were communists. Daily Wire is fighting these ideas, while the church thinks it can befriend them. Politics and the spiritual realm are intertwined, but the church seems to think that politics are separate from one's beliefs in God. In fact, our beliefs about God inform us about man, and what we think about man impacts our politics. There is no getting away from this chain of logic. To do so is to be spiritually bipolar. The Daily Wire is actively fighting these battles, and yes, people are finding solace in their content, and it's not just the Daily Wire, it's other political commentators as well. There is not a Christian out there that I don't find talking more about their political commentators than they do about their pastors and the advice that they give them. And I don't think it's because the Christian is not faithful to Christ. It's because their pastors are not faithful to their duty. But Daily Wire cannot win this fight. They are not the protectors of the faith. They are adherents to their various faiths. While this may provide listeners with a sounding board from time to time, it will not defeat communism. The only thing that can defeat communism is Christianity, which is why we need the church to step up its game. Now that I've completed my job interview for The Daily Wire, here is the meat of the show. If you haven't listened to the book club on The Captive Mind, I highly recommend you do. We do this Monday and Wednesday, and we just dropped two episodes earlier this week. This book is way more readable than the previous book, The Human Condition, by Hannah Arendt, and it provides a strong contrast between the spiritual nature of communism and its hijacking of Christian themes. The following quotes are long, but relevant to the rise of Daily Wire and Jordan Peterson and the communism we also see in our own culture, as well as the decline of Christianity in America. I'm reading from pages 36 and 37 and pages 72 and 73 for these first sets of quotes. Quote, when the great re-educational task is accomplished and the hated metaphysical being in man is utterly crushed, what will remain? It is doubtful whether party imitations of Christian liturgy and mass-like rites performed before portraits of the leaders will give the people perfect satisfaction. 
more than the West imagines, the intellectuals of the East, those are communists, look to the West for something. Nor do they seek it in Western propaganda. The something that the Eastern intellectuals look for is a great new writer, a new social philosophy, an artistic movement, a scientific discovery, new principles of painting or music. Here we see that the elite communist in Poland is looking for the fruits not of freedom, but freedom for a purpose. The America that he is referring to, this is uh, Miłosz, still had a strong spiritual center. And as we see this center deteriorate, we see our spirits deteriorate along with the morality of our politicians and culture. For example, Hillary Clinton speaking with Cardi B about her latest hit song with the acronym WAP, W-A-P, which has a meaning too vulgar to extract, is an example of the low we have hit as a society. Political leaders are representatives of the culture, or at least they should be. The culture we produce is the womb in which our leaders develop. When the spirit turns to darkness, the culture produces children of darkness, and children of darkness become devils. Milos continues the theme of Christianity as he elaborates on Ketman, an idea observed among Islamic cultures where the adherent displays fidelity on the outside while holding a contradictory belief on the inside. In Islam, this may be practicing the five pillars of Islam, for example, professing your faith verbally, while secretly professing your faith to Christ in your heart. Milos utilizes this idea to describe the varieties of Ketman that can occur under communism. In this quote, he describes a Ketman he explicitly associates with Christians. Quote, metaphysical Ketman, oh, by the way, this is a, this is a very long quote, but this it's very much worth it, and it is very much a description of our time. You can basically swap out Poland for America and Catholic for Christian. Metaphysical Ketman occurs generally in countries with a Catholic past. This Ketman depends upon a suspended belief in a metaphysical principle of the world. This metaphysical Ketman, in its turn, has a number of varieties. Certain practicing Catholics serve even in the security police and suspend their Catholicism in executing their inhumane work. Others, trying to maintain a Christian community in the bosom of the new faith, come out publicly as Catholics. They often succeed in preserving Catholic institutions because the dialecticians are ready to accept so-called progressive and patriotic Catholics who comply in political matters. Think about your seminaries or your Christian schools and universities who have diversity, equity, and inclusion departments and councils and things like that. These are groups who are going along and playing Ketman with the American government. The rulers tolerate such Catholics as temporary and necessary evil. We're continuing the Milos quote here. Reasoning that the stage has not yet arrived at which one can utterly wipe out religion, and that it is better to deal with accommodating bigots than refractory ones. And again, this is 1951 in Poland. Progressive Catholics are, however, conscious of being relegated to a not particularly honorable place, that of shamans or witch doctors from savage tribes whom one humors until one can dress them in trousers and send them to school. They appear in various state spectacles and are even sent abroad as shining testimonials to the center's tolerance toward uncivilized races. One can compare their function to that of noble savages imported to the metropolis by colonial powers for state occasions. Their defense against total degradations is metaphysical ketman. They swindle the devil, who thinks he is swindling them. But the devil knows what they think and is satisfied. End quote. I'm going to read that last one just one more time. Christians swindle the devil, who thinks he is swindling them. But the devil knows what they think and is satisfied. 
Now we find ourselves seeing similarities of our own time and that of the Polish under communist rule. This chapter is so relevant to our time in America, I could just read the chapter aloud on the podcast and you'd be like, oh my word. But we must move on. I read these lengthy quotes to emphasize that communism has religious qualities. It's not merely a political system. It's a spiritual system. And I think that this makes it a religion. To argue for this philosophically, though, is a difficult task and maybe will be attempted at some other time. But from our own experience and from the stories of survivors, the conclusion is clear that the past and the developments of our present time reveal that communism is in fact a religion. The church has forsaken its call to feed and protect the sheep during this time. The city and the church find their roots in the same being, man. And the church is called to protect man as much as he is to feed him. Now, some will retort, not true. It's God who raises up man. It's God who raises up kingdoms and moves the king's heart like a river. Yes, that is also true. But man is a social being, and church and governments are societies. They are assemblies of men. Thus, their roots are men whose aim is to reach society's branches to heaven. But the church has abandoned its roots, and man is turning to politics for spiritual food. Man is finding it occasionally, but it's more of a Turkish delight. Tasty for a moment, but unsatisfying. In order to defeat communism, we cannot do so merely with argument. We must do so in a faith that takes a mystical form of worship, a faith that brings one literally to his knees. The communists have a mystical faith, and it will require an equally mystical faith, but one armed with truth that can defeat it. As Milos says, Usually what is strong in the West is purely negative. Its criticism of the new faith is often accurate, but despite this, it points no way out and introduces nothing to replace the method. That's dialectical materialism for those who have been following along. To the Eastern intellectual, this Western strategy is insufficient. One does not defeat a messiah with common sense arguments, end quote. We will not be able to defeat communism with a facts don't care about your feelings t-shirt or a what is a woman decal or an all access subscription to your favorite political commentator. It will require a faith that understands the power of the word, that is spiritual truth and the power of history, which is the material truth. In order for us to drive back the darkness over the next several decades, yes, decades, we must become living members, not just merely churchgoers. We must seek God while he can be found. Freedom is the best context in which to do that. But Milos offers us some more insight which we would do well to contemplate. Quote, The Christian religion, which is restricted or even exterminated in countries of the new faith, always evokes a considerable, albeit unhealthy, amount of interest. Do Western Christians take the necessary advantage of their freedom? One is forced to the conclusion that they do not. Religion has become something in the nature of a vestigial custom, instances of which one finds in the folklore of various nations. Perhaps some pressure is needed if Christianity is to be reborn. The religious fervor of the Christians in the people's democracies would seem to indicate as much. One merely wonders if there isn't the piety of a mouse caught in a trap, and if it hasn't come just a bit too late. End quote. If we are going to fight back against communism, we need freedom. This is true. But we must also recognize that our fight is not for freedom for me, but it is freedom for thee. Our acts of faith in the future cannot be acts based in selfishness. Our actions must take the form of Christ. Knowing the path set before us, we recognize that God has placed us here for such a time as this. 
that in death we will meet God, that while we may not see freedom like we have had in the past in our lifetime, this is not a cause for despair. Nor is our faith in Christ and the salvation it brings cause for optimism. Faith should lead us to a life of courage, but for those called to an intellectual life, it should be a courage that is fed by hope, and a hope that the thoughts and writings we produce in this time will first shape us, and should God see fit, it will also shape the next generation of Christians and men who are privileged to live in the light of freedom. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Roberts for Solomon's Corner. Keep thinking.